first book to the Corinthian church, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, the Bible says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word, word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, He appeared also to me. What a blessing it is to be able to share the Word with you this morning. Pray with me briefly, if you would. Father, this morning as Your Word is spoken, I pray that You will help me to declare it boldly as I should. And I ask You, Father, please to bless these people with Your Word today. The axiom, attitude is everything, uh, has been stated by so many motivational speakers and writers that we just have always accepted that as truth. And, you know, if that many ed- motivational speakers and educated people are saying that, then it must be true, right? Well, John Maxwell, who is a popular Christian leader and, and author, in his book, The Difference Maker, says that's not true. Attitude isn't everything. He believes that attitude is important, but there are certain things that it cannot achieve. For instance, it cannot replace competence. It cannot replace experience. It cannot replace personal growth. And it cannot change the facts. And he gives an example of two people vying for a job. One has talent and skills and 10 years experience, but kind of a so-so attitude. The other one uh, really doesn't have any experience, but he's got a great attitude. Who do you think will get the job? John Maxwell uh, believes it's probably the one with the greater skills and experience. And the reason he gives is because a great attitude will just simply not make up that gap. So attitude cannot change facts, but facts can change attitude. And not only can facts change attitude, but it can also drastically change behavior. And I want to show you in Scripture today how facts drastically change attitude and behavior and what a difference that makes for you and me and everyone else in this world. During His ministry, Jesus told His disciples on several occasions that He was going to suffer and die at the hands of the Jewish leaders. But they didn't really accept that. They didn't really understand what He meant. And I'm not sure they really believed that that would happen. You know, after all, if he's claiming, if Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, you know, how could the death of the Son of God make that happen? 
One of the more vivid examples of this was in Mark 8.31 when Jesus began to tell them that he was going to suffer many things. And not only was he going to suffer, but he had to suffer many things and be rejected by the Jewish leaders. But then after three days, he would be raised again. Verse 32 says, he told them this plainly. You know, in other words, he didn't use a parable this time. He just told them frankly what was about to happen in his life. And at that point, you know, if you recall, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, you know, that kind of gives us an idea of just how humble a man Jesus was. That Peter felt comfortable enough in his presence to correct him. Because, you know, Peter thought Jesus was kind of being fatalistic about the future here. You know, he didn't believe that Jesus' death was the path to restoring the nation of Israel. Jesus was their leader. I could just hear Peter saying, you know, Lord, don't don't talk like that. You're going to hurt our morale. You you go talking like that, we'll never be able to restore the nation of Israel. How can the nation be restored if its leader dies? And Peter's reaction here made it obvious that they didn't really have a full grasp of what the plan was bring salvation to the world. You find in other places in Scripture when Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8, the disciples marveled at it and said, what, what sort of man is this that the, the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus said to his disciples on six different occasions, oh, you of little faith. So, They never fully believed that Jesus was God in the flesh. Or maybe they just didn't grasp what that meant. Where this to me is the most evident is on the night of Jesus' arrest and trial. When the mob came to arrest him in Matthew 26, Peter pulled out his sword and he cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And again, not having accepted what Jesus had told them, On a number of occasions, I have to suffer and die. Peter didn't believe that the power of God involved a death. And you really can't blame him. We probably wouldn't have either. And a few minutes later, you know, when the mob showed up and they apprehended Jesus, it says in Matthew 26, verse 56, all the disciples left him and fled. Even though they had earlier said in verse 33, they would not do that. You know, we'll die with you if we have to. And Peter, of course, he did not flee, as we know. But maybe it would have been better had he had he done that, <laughs> had he just fled with the others, because he's the one who was asked about his association with Jesus, and he said three times, "I don't know who this guy is. I have not been with him. You know, I don't know who he was. I, I don't know who he is." And that tells you that Peter's faith was still not what it should have been. So what you see so far is a group of disciples who are confused. They're afraid. And they're trying now to disassociate themselves from Jesus because their doubts have now been magnified about who He was. And when you read that, you might wonder, how could they do that? How could they promise to die with Him and then a few hours later, they're running for their lives? It was because 
when Jesus was arrested, their faith took a huge nosedive. Their faith wasn't that great to begin with, but, but now it hit rock bottom. When I was uh, first began to play organized baseball, I don't know, I was about six years old, I suppose, six or seven years old. And uh, I would step up to the plate. I'd, I'd give myself a good distance from the plate, you know, so. And I was a right-handed batter, of course, and, and I would stand like this. And as soon as the pitcher got into his windup, I stepped back and let him throw the ball. I wasn't going to be hit with that ball. I mean, because I was, you know, I was like this. And the pitcher was like this. And it looked to me like I was going to get hit right here, you know, as I stood. Uh, so every drove my coach crazy. I stepped out on every pitch. Now, I got on a few times because kids at that age have a tough time getting the ball over the plate. So I walked quite a few times. But I was just, I was scared to death that I was going to be beamed with the ball. And so I just simply stepped out on every pitch. After Jesus was resurrected, as we read a moment ago, he appeared to a large number of people, including his disciples. Paul explained this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, as we read earlier. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, even though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then all of the apostles. So notice what Paul said here. Most of the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection were actually still alive as of this writing. And this, it's believed that this letter to the Corinthians was written about 55 A.D., which would have been about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So some of these eyewitnesses, if they were fairly young at the time, you know, may have lived on up to the almost the end of the first century. So there were a lot of eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And how did knowing the fact of the resurrected Christ change their attitudes and hence their behavior? These men who said they would die with Christ but ran away when Jesus was apprehended were now dying for their faith. They were willing to be beaten. They were willing to be imprisoned. They were willing to be martyred in order to preach about Jesus. I mean, you talk about a 180 degree change in their attitudes and in their behavior. In Acts 7, Stephen he didn't run away from the mob this time. He boldly told the Jewish leaders that they were constantly resisting God and as their fathers did, and they were the ones who murdered Jesus. And the Jews were so incensed at being told that, they picked up rocks and stoned Him to death. Men who were cowards when Jesus was apprehended and crucified had become some of the most courageous men history has ever recorded. In Acts 4, Peter and John had been preaching about the resurrection when they were arrested. The next day, they were forced to appear before the bigwigs, you know, the high priestly family, the Sanhedrin. They were asked, you know, by what authority are you doing this? Who gives you the authority to go out and preach all of this, all of this, all these 
facts about Jesus and the resurrection and so forth. And it says being filled with the Holy Spirit. They told them about Jesus. They stood there be, you know, in front of these very important authority figures. They told them about Jesus. And in verse 13, it says that the rulers were astonished at the boldness of these men who were just ordinary educated men. Actually, uneducated men. After these men spoke, they were warned not to preach about Jesus anymore. And this was their response in Acts 4.19. But it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God. You must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In other words, we're sorry. But we're going to keep preaching this way, whether you like it or not, because we just can't help it. We saw it. We heard it. We know He's alive. So these men went from cowering, unbelieving wimps to bold, courageous preachers because the facts changed their attitude. They had seen and heard the resurrected Christ and they were now filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, the Holy Spirit produced half of the New Testament letters to a guy who had been going around supporting the murder of Christians until he came face to face with the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. You know, some have suggested that the apostles made up the story of the resurrection and were able to convince the people of that time about it. But what could they possibly glean from that? I mean, most people aren't willing to die for a lie. There's only one explanation as to why these men and women went from cowards to martyrs, and that was because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And they saw it. It was a fact. In the first message after the resurrection, Peter said this, Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. A lot of people in the, in the first century refused to believe in the resurrection, which is why the New Testament writers produced the best evidence possible. Eyewitnesses. You know, eyewitnesses are still the strongest evidence in courtrooms today. When you have multiple eyewitnesses who can corroborate the, the facts, it makes it difficult to refute. All that would have been needed to, to do to refute the whole thing, the resurrection and, and everything about, about Jesus, was just to produce his body. And no one ever produced his body. Even John in his first letter... First uh, John chapter 1 wrote about his eyewitness experience. He said, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we are looked upon and our, and our hands have touched, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it. Not only did they see the resurrected Christ, but they heard Him speak. They touched His body. That's what, you know, that's, that's when Thomas became a believer. If you recall, Thomas was the one apostle who said, unless I see his hands, unless I see his side, I will not believe. And so Jesus appeared to him in John 20, 27. And he said to Thomas, come here, Thomas, touch my hands. Here, put your hand right here in my side. I want you to feel it. And he did. And Thomas's reaction was, my Lord and my God. Jesus then said, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me, but believe. Do you know why you're blessed if you believe without seeing? 
because of what Jesus said in Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Some people would say today, you know, if, you, if Jesus would just come back. I mean, even for a few minutes. Just, just come back and show himself again, you know, to the world. Then, you know, surely, then everybody would believe in Jesus. I mean, if he came back down on the clouds. And everybody saw him. Wouldn't, wouldn't, we, wouldn't the world be converted at that point? Why doesn't he do that? Well, the Scriptures address that. In Luke 16, Jesus told a parable about a rich man, Lazarus. Lazarus was this poor beggar that sat at the rich man's house. The rich man never gave him anything. The rich man ended up in hell. And they both died. Lazarus, the poor man, went to heaven. And the rich man went, went to hell. And so the rich man says to Abraham, now, Jesus is telling this parable. He says to Abraham, Abraham, you know, just touch your finger in some cool water and put it on my tongue. I'm, I'm hot here. Just cool the edge of my tongue. Abraham said, I, I hate to tell you this, but there's this huge gulf here between me and you. And, I, you know, we can't, can't get between each other. Can't reach each other. So Abraham says, okay, well, then just send somebody back to my brothers. I've got five brothers. Please tell them, you know, about this horrible place so they won't end up here. And Abraham said to them, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Let them read their words. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, but if someone comes back from the dead, then they'll believe. This is Jesus talking again. And he says, Abraham responded, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they they won't be convinced even if someone comes back from the dead. You know, there were many people who witnessed Jesus' miracles and saw him raise people from the dead who refused to believe. So that tells us that the Word of God is sufficient today to help those who disbelieve to come to faith today. It's the Word of God. We know according to Hebrews 11.6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. So He wants you to believe now. Before he comes back, Paul wrote, we walk by faith, not by sight. And when you stand before God on the day of judgment, Jesus isn't going to say to you, okay, now do you believe? See me, now do you believe? That's not what he's going to say. He's going to say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's too late then. We don't have to rely on Moses and the prophets today. We have testimony from eyewitnesses who saw the resurrected Christ and they wrote about it. You know, some might raise the question, well, you know, what about Muslims? They're willing to die for their faith in Allah. You know, like like these people were in the New Testament for Jesus. You know, throughout history, people have died for all kinds of causes for which they believe. Jesus said there's no greater love than someone who lays down his life for his friends. There have been people throughout history who have laid down their life for their friends. Think about the people in the military who put their life on the line all the time. But you see, the difference is Jesus didn't just lay down his life. He took it up again. He was resurrected and many, many people saw him. That was a difference maker in this world. That sets Jesus apart from every other person in the world. The change in the lives of these men and women could only be attributed to the absolute certainty of knowing Jesus was the Son of God, the resurrected Christ, because they saw Him. I mean, there were several events that confirmed that form. Not the crucifixion, 
the resurrection, the ascension, seeing Him being taken up into the clouds, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into their lives, them speaking in tongues, performing miracles, healing people, all of those things. Those events confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was who He said He was. He was God. You know, the Pharisee Gamaliel once said in response to the Christian movement in Acts 5, he says, there have been men who started the movement, many people followed them, but once they died, the movement died with them. He said, if this movement is from God, it will not die, and you may be found opposing God. And he was right, because Christianity is still a movement today, is it not? I still remember the day I got my first hit of baseball. I stepped up to the plate, you know, planning to step out, as I usually did. I stepped up to the plate like this, and I looked at the pitcher, and I noticed there was something different about this pitcher. Because instead of standing like this, he was standing like this. And it appeared to me, this guy's not going to hit me. He was a lefty. And so I didn't step out that day. I stayed in there, and I got three hits off of this left-handed bat. I hated it when they took him out. I hated it when they took him out. I, that was the best day I had as a six-year-old in baseball. And, and just the fact that I knew I then could hit that ball, then it didn't matter after that. It didn't matter whether he was right or left. I knew I could hit a baseball, whether it was right-handed or left-handed. But that day changed my short-lived baseball career forever. So the message today is the resurrection was a difference maker in history. In fact, it was the greatest difference maker of all time. It it changed the world. It changed the present. It changed the future. You would be hard-pressed to find a more powerful example of fact-changing attitude than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I pray that you will believe the evidence and can see how the truth of the resurrection created such radical changes in these people's lives that are written about in the book of Acts. That that doesn't happen when there's doubt and when there's uncertainty. In fact, when there's doubt and uncertainty, you see apostles fleeing. Today, faith is the victory. Faith is what overcomes the world, according to John. Faith is what gives us access to God's grace today and, 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 and saves us through grace, according to Paul. But this is not a blind faith. It is faith based on those who saw the evidence of a resurrected Christ. If you believe the facts that you heard today, then, what should you do? Repent of your sins. Confess your belief and be baptized. Baptism is an important step in obeying the gospel along with confession and repentance. Peter wrote, In 1 Peter 3.21, that baptism now saves you. But then it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you want to respond today to this message, we invite you to make your way here to the front or to go back to the Welcome Center in the back of the auditorium. There will be an elder here to greet you. The facts have been presented to you. What will you do with those facts today? Let's stand.